Hey everyone, this is Ben from Upcase, and I wanted to jump in to the Bike Shed stream for just one second to let you know about something cool that's coming out. We're going to be bundling a year of Ruby Tapas and a year of Upcase. It is live right now. You can go to upcase.com slash tapas. And at the basic level, uh, we're going to give you about 38% off a combined annual subscription to Tapas and Upcase. The sale is running from the 30th of January to the 6th of February. By the way, this is available if you are already an Upcase subscriber or a Ruby Tapas subscriber. And quick hint, the best deal on there, we have four tiers and the best one is actually the team tier. So if you can have a coworker sign up with you or even just a friend and you build a team together, uh, you will get the best deal. So check that out, upcase.com slash tapas, as in Ruby Tapas. And uh, I think you're going to like what you see. You doing this podcast in, in virtual reality? Oh, yeah. How's the bike shed look? Like Mars. <laughs> yeah, thing, it's, it's not, like, great, but for a thing that's literally strapping your cell phone to your head, it's pretty, <laughs> it's pretty all right. Like, the UI on it is really good, if nothing else, for the Daydream VR. Yeah, the idea that the exposure that most people have to VR is strapping a cell phone to their head is kind of amusing to me. Right. It's not the future of VR, but it is, you know, it's a cheap, accessible way to uh, dip your feet into it. Because I've tried Samsung's variant of strapping your phone to your head, and I was less impressed with it. VR. Yes, that one. I was less impressed with that, but the Daydream uh, VR seems to be pretty decent. And a big part of that might just be the difference in quality between the Pixel and Samsung's phones, as opposed to the VR hardware. Yeah. In the, when I was in the New York office, they were playing around with the Vive, Vive, however you say that. Yeah, the Vi- I mean, the Vive is like the... is That's the shit. If you want to do VR, that's that's the way to do VR. But you need to have a room that you can, like, that you can dedicate to it and $1,000 to throw at it which makes it a little, a little less accessible. Amanda and Morgan talked about this on the uh, on the last episode, well, two episodes ago on the Bike Shed. So uh, if people want to hear more about that, because Morgan's been doing some VR development. Um, and was talking oh, cool. about the niceness of having the the Vive, Vive, whatever it is. <laughs> Vive. Sure. It's Vive. Isn't it V-I-I-V? No, it's V-I-V-E. Oh, okay. Like Vine, but with a V. Okay. Vive. I, gu- I guess I just thought it was like the Wii or something. <laughs> no. Do you know we have a VR department at Shopify? Shopping virtually? That That is what we're building, apparently. Because hmm. Toby thinks VR is the future of e-commerce. Okay. And technology in general. I don't know. Sure. <laughs> I have no idea. That, that is roughly my opinion as well. I'm old enough that I lived through the last time that VR was going to be the next great thing. Was there a last time that VR was going to be the next great thing? Yes. We're not talking like the virtual boy, right? No, it's slightly before that, actually. They were like, you could go to arcades and you had these gigantic headsets that you would like pull down in front of you. Oh, they still have those. Right. But we had that 15 years ago, 20 years ago. Yeah, probably 20 years ago. I was probably in my early teens. I mean, I feel like unless it's available in the home, anything that's claiming that's the future is not credible. Like things that you have to, things yeah. that you that you can't buy for yourself and have at your house, just are never the future of anything. Well, yeah, I guess so. Wake me when when a normal person can buy a, a Vive or a Oculus or something like that. You can. You wouldn't want to, but you can. <laughs> it costs a lot of money, right? Yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. No, the price the price needs to go down, and it will. It always does. But yeah, the big I mean the big issue with the daydream is just there's not a ton of content for it. Yeah. But for what's there, like it's the best time I've ever had strapping a phone to the front of my face. <laughs> Yeah, it's hard to argue. I've never had a better time with a phone strapped to the front of my face than the five minutes I spent with that daydream thing. So, there's a really some really stupid apps on it though. Like Netflix and HBO both have daydream apps, and it's literally a virtual reality sitting in a movie theater watching a normal video. Is it like Mystery Science <laughs> Theater three thousand style? Like there's it like would actually it would actually be cool if it had that sort of fun. I, I mean, I guess if you don't have like a, a stand for your phone or something and you're sitting on a plane, like maybe that's slightly better than having to hold it. Maybe. I doubt it. Yeah. I don't know. It just it, it, it seems like the most unnecessary thing to put into VR because it's just watching a normal view, but in VR. <laughs> yes. Uh, what's going on? I heard you, uh, you got a baby at home now. Congratulations. I do have a baby at home. Thank you. How's that going? It's going okay. You were saying last time that like you were waiting for your life to change. Has it changed now? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> there's a thing sitting in my living room now that wasn't there before. Yeah, it breathes and makes noise and poops and eats. It, it doesn't, she doesn't even really make much noise. Like, yeah. Because she can't really cry that much yet. Her lungs aren't developed enough. Because she's still, she's only 36 weeks. Right. So she's still four weeks premature. She's currently negative four weeks. Right. Gestational age is, because I think we were talking about this yesterday, gestational age is the proper term for amount of time that has passed since conception. Yeah. But uh, they don't do much yet at, when, <laughs> at this stage. She just sort of sleeps. They sleep a lot. Yeah. I remember, yeah. you know, our, our first child was born full term and I just remember being like, the first few days being like, this is so much easier than anybody said it was going to be. And like we had, I was like, this is great. And my wife was like, I'm feeling great. She was like, let's have people over. Like, let's have, let's invite like our friends over to come meet the baby. And I was like, cool. And then we were like, we'll do it on Friday. And like Friday, and then everything went to hell on Thursday. Everything went to hell Thursday night. And I was, <laughs> 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 I remember for large stretches, just having to disappear with, with the baby and being like, I gotta, I gotta see if I can calm this thing down. Like, I don't, <laughs> I don't know what's happening. You know, I'm holding out for like her lungs actually are developed and like she could be crying if she wanted to and she's actually just a quiet baby yeah maybe. i know that's not i know that's not hey these things happen i don't think that happens it, i mean you get you get your good sleepers and your um you know relatively even keeled attitude type children every now and then i i hear about these things it makes me angry every time but you know <laughs> I, mean, I just assume those people are lying okay. all right that's it for parenting with sean and derek today Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I always assume they're lying too. Has that been consuming your life basically, I imagine, for the last week? Um, pretty much. Like other than I you know, I try to pop into the diesel uh get her room every now and again and people still ask me questions about rail stuff, which I try to answer. Okay. They ask you stuff about rail stuff, but they don't pop into the <laughs> to the getter room for diesel and ask you rail stuff. No. That'd be a good no, trick well, if you really want to get Sean's attention. <laughs> I have had actually had one person do that, and I did answer their question, and it's somebody who I probably wouldn't have responded to otherwise, so... There you go. I guess, it, I guess that works. Secret hack. Yeah. I have an active record question I can ask you, because, uh, well, you're captive, so I'll have to ask it to you. Okay. So this just came up today. Uh, Justin and I were working through something where we have this app, and it shows you a list of, uh, I don't know, let's say things, right? Shows you a list of widgets. widgets. A list, list of widgets. 
and widgets have associated networks, right? Okay. So on those widgets, we want to render the name of the associated networks. No problem so far. We just preload the associated networks. We render their names. No problem. No N plus one queries. Everything's hunky-dory. But then it turns out in this app, you know, most apps have like current user as a, like yep. just a thing. This app has current sponsor, kind of the same kind of thing. Okay, sure. And sponsors have networks, right? Okay. When we're rendering the widgets, we only want to show the networks that the sponsor also has, right? So you want to preload the association, but with additional constraints. Yes, exactly. We have basically a parameterized association. Sure. And you... Yeah, so just define another association. Yeah, that's my typical thought as well. But the thing that we're defining, the asso- like the conditions of the association aren't known until runtime, right? Because it depends on, for you know, all intents and purposes, current user. And there's no way to get that from a widget. Yeah. yeah so so the, your only option there, and I'm not, and I am not saying that you should do this. Your only real option there is to stick it in a thread local variable and then access that from an association scope. Yep. That's kind of what we thought of. And I wouldn't do that because that sounds terrible. What we ended up doing, or what Justin is currently doing, as I come down to record this podcast, <laughs> is um, he you can just do the where clause. You can just like eager load the association and then just in the where clause say where what a, yada yada yada. Well, we're just eager loading the association and then dropping down. Well, that's what we were doing. We were eager loading the association and then the method would also hit that association and call where, but that just triggers a new brand new query every time. Like it's not going to. Right. So what we do instead is just call select rather. No, no. So you're, you're, you're missing what I mean. You can do like widgets dot includes networks dot where network sponsor equals current sponsor. Oh, we can do it from the preload side. Well, so I'm from the preload. Like this will, so that will literally from the generate control, the, from the controller, essentially. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's exactly. That'll do SQL that is not necessarily what you would have otherwise written because the filtering is going to happen in the where clause, not in the join clause. But like that doesn't actually matter. And if no. you're on Postgres, the query planner will generate identical queries either way because the Postgres query planner is quite good. Right. Yeah. We consider that as well. And, and I feel like this comes up enough. And that's why I kind of wanted to talk about it is because like, there's enough times where this thread local thing comes up as like a potential. I start Googling and I hit the Stack Overflow that's like, oh, you just need access to current user in your models. And I'm like, oh, God, I don't know, thread local. And then there's there's a thing I've actually used before, not for access in the models, but I've used request store before, which is like a step up from thread local in various ways. They in the If you go to the readme for the project, it tells you like why it's better than thread local. But I've used that before. In each case, I've used it in cases where a repeated query needs to be run from the routes. Like there's a route constraint. Mm-hmm. And so I, like, I run the query once, throw it in, in the route constraint class itself. I just cache it in a thread local variable so I don't have to keep doing it every time. No, thread local is very, a very common solution. I know like Basecamp, for example, has a module called current and then various methods for all of the things that they need to access and they're all, and they basically just stick current user, current base camp or project or, or, you know, whatever other things they have, those in a before filter get, all get stuck into thread locals and then they just get access from everywhere. And that seems to be a, a pretty common solution. And certainly if you want to have your eager loading, like have that just be baked into the model. Yeah. That's the only way to do that. Yeah, and I we ultimately took the decision where it was like, you know what, there aren't a lot of networks. We could just preload them all and then filter them like in memory, and that would probably be fine. And well, so, if you're filtering them in memory, why don't you just do dot where and filter them in SQL? Because it's it's actually less code to do it that the, way. The solution is trying to be general in a way that allows this query to run sometimes or not run other times. 
Uh, right, but I'd have to look at it. It's possible. It's a thing we could potentially do. Yeah, we could we could potentially do that. I'm gonna slack you a, a pseudocode thing, and I'll okay. bet you if you stick to that, but replace widget and network with whatever the actual things are, it'll, <laughs> it'll I'll, I'll bet you it'll work. Maybe. Um, and the other solution, Justin started going down, and I think it's a decent idea too. But ultimately, just ended up being too much diff noise that we were we just weren't comfortable pursuing it at this point. Was like approaching it from the current sponsor side of the equation, like because oh, the, yeah. the current sponsor has memberships that we can preload. And we can look to see, like, okay, does it have a membership for any of the widgets? Right. So you so you can load the widgets on the network side. Right. Right. But yeah. That would also work quite well. Yeah. yeah. But I, I just feel like it's a kind of it's a thing that comes up often enough that I wonder if there's like a compelling reason I can't preload any method. Like, why can I only preload associations? Because we need to know how to represent it as, as SQL. But like associations are ultimately just methods, right? No. Like, okay, maybe not. They're classes, but yeah. <laughs> no, but I mean, they also like, they follow a defined structure and we know more about them. Yes, in theory, we could provide you a ad hoc build your own association type thing. And in fact, associations used to be a little bit closer to that because there used to be options like join SQL. Yep. We could certainly go back to like letting you construct ad hoc associations, but associations have properties that normal methods don't. Like we assume that they are a collection that can be Appended to, replaced, destroyed. Okay. That can either be loaded as an individual query or joined. That okay. have you know known relationships to the parent. And then similarly, the other question I had was like, mm, we can use the same kind of example. This current sponsor idea. For the most part, you just want current sponsor, and you don't want to preload anything along with that, right? So let's let's go back to current user, since that's something most people are are familiar with. So on all your pages, you basically just need to know who current user is. So you do, you know, user.findby, whatever, right? And you find your current yep. user. And then there might be like a user profile edit page that has several other associations that you want to expose. Okay. And so the code I reviewed was basically like it reran the query to get current user, but added like some includes and things like that on top of it. Why? We're just going to do separate queries for each of those associations anyway. It's one parent. There's no reason to eager load. But when you get to nested things, there are reason, reasons to eager. Like if the associated thing, like a user has a address and an address has many, that's a bad example, but you know, whatever you preload then has many somethings. But you can just do that. User.addresses.includes address association. <laughs> hmm. I guess I probably didn't know that you could chain includes on something like that, which makes 100% sense that I'm not entirely yeah, sure it's why. Just sub, really it's subclasses relation. Yeah. Because I was going to say the thing that I ultimately like found and, and was like, you could do this, but I don't like it, is basically instantiating the preloader yourself with yeah, the thing. Yeah, don't do that. It's not yeah, a public API, but it's, I was like, that works. You could do that, but that's pretty ugly. The only time you won't be able to eager load is if you're going through a has one association. But again, if it's a has one, there's no reason to eager load. It's going to be one query. Just, yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's going to be, it's just going to end up being two queries. The only time that we'll try and combine them into a single query is if it's required because we need the join for like the where clause. Because mm -hmm. usually the cost of sending all of the duplicated data over the wire from performing the join is greater than the cost of the additional round trip from doing two queries. Certainly, that's the case if you're if you're talking about more than two tables. For two tables, it more or less doesn't matter. But if you're talking about three or more tables, it is almost always better to do multiple queries because you're sending the same you're sending the same data over the wire duplicated so much. Yeah, 
And then there was the other bug that I found that I sent to you and was like, I, I like kind of did like a quick and dirty patch. And I was like, would this be something you would consider? And you were kind of like, Meh. so I was just like, no, that was if a user has many posts, right? That gives you a post IDs method on user where you can assign an array of IDs, right? And Rails will like helpfully try and say like, oh, you assigned, you know, if you do um, user dot post IDs equals one, three, six, and nine, Rails will do a single query to make sure post IDs 1, 3, 6, and 9 actually exist. And if they don't exist, it raises. So what I found was like we had a bunch of places where we were initializing relationships to empty arrays. And it was doing a bunch of queries where it was like where 1 equals 0 because it knows there's right. no IDs. And I was like... Right, because it's doing where thing equals the array that you pass us and where anything is empty array creates the SQL 1 equals 0. Right. And so it created a bunch of 1 equals zeros. And in this case, it was like, I don't know, 3, 5, something like that one equals zero queries, which were really fast, but like those things annoy me when I see them in logs and when I see them in like sure. rack mini profiler. So it's like, okay, well in this case, it's really easy to get rid of because there's no reason that I need to initialize these things to empty arrays. I can just leave them, can leave them be as whatever they are when you call new and it'll be fine. And so that fixed that problem. But I was also like, that's kind of weird that that would do that. So I like edited the code that does the ID assignment thing and was like, if I've been given an empty array, then don't execute this query, basically. Just say that, like, yep, everything's cool. I wasn't expecting your response of, like, I can't remember exactly how you worded it, but basically, like, what we save there isn't worth the, like, three lines of code that that added. <laughs> Which it was I, more than three. I think it was, like, five or six lines, but yeah. Yeah, something like that. And I thought that was, like, I hadn't thought of it that way, and I was kind of, like, I looked at it, and I was, like, but this made it, yeah, yeah, you're right. It does. It's not worth the added, like, branch that I just added. Yeah to that method. And I was like, oh, that's an interesting, I thought it was, it showed like good maintainership because this does fix a problem, but the problem isn't necessarily worth fixing or worth fixing in this way anyway. And it's not worth the overhead that it introduces, which was right. in my opinion was pretty minimal, but also like, I was like, well, it adds another branch to this thing and you know, sure. whatever. If I were going to go after that, what I would probably be, because Part of it is also, okay, so we, we eliminate the no-op query in this one place. Yeah. Why aren't we fixing it in the 18 other places? I still don't know that I would accept it, but I would certainly be more open to considering something that like does something to when we can determine that a query is going to be a no-op. Right. If it contains a where clause where 1 equals 0, if we can just short-circuit that to empty array or whatever. Well, and, again, and it has to be a little bit more complex than that. Because we have to know, okay, and as long as everything else is joined with and and there's no ors. Ah, right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And no SQL literal nodes, because if there's a SQL literal node, you cannot assume anything. You know, we could do something like that. But again, I'd be more willing to consider something like that just because, like, you know, this fixes more stuff. But that also would be substantially more complicated because now it's no longer, we can assume, if we were past an empty array in this one place that we know. And then the other point that I made, too, is that not that I think, and I don't think anybody is doing this, and they probably shouldn't be doing this, but uh, we can't actually assume that passing empty array there does cause that query to be a no-op because the association could have a scope, and that scope could include or. And if that scope includes or, then where 1 equals 0 does not mean it returns no records. Yep. Trickier than I had thought. <laughs> Open source tends to be. <laughs> yep, that's the case almost all the time. I want to take a quick break to tell you about our sponsor today. That's FreshBooks. So you're racing against the clock to wrap up three projects, prepping for a meeting later in the afternoon, all while trying to tackle a mountain of paperwork. This is your life as an independent contractor or freelancer. It's challenging, 
but our friends at FreshBooks believe the rewards are worth it. The working world has changed. With the growth of the internet, there's never been more opportunities for the self-employed. To meet this need, FreshBooks is excited to announce the launch of an all-new version. That's right, all-new. So if you checked it out in the past, check it out again. FreshBooks is very well-implemented cloud accounting software. It's been redesigned from the ground up and custom-built for exactly the way you, as an independent contractor or freelancer, work. Get ready for the simplest way to be more productive, organized, and most importantly, get paid quickly. The all-new FreshBooks is not only ridiculously easy to use, it's also packed full of powerful features. You can create and send professional-looking invoices in less than 30 seconds. You can set up online payments. You don't want to have to deal with people mailing you checks or anything like that. So you can get paid online. Just a couple of clicks, and you'll get paid up to four days faster. And you can also see when the client has seen your invoice. So you can tell whether or not they've received it, whether they've had a chance to look at it, before you decide how to approach nagging them to pay again. And if you don't like nagging your clients to pay their invoices, FreshBooks has you covered there. It's an awkward moment with your client talking about past due payments, but FreshBooks automates late payment email reminders so you can spend less time chasing payments and more time working on the really important communications with your client. FreshBooks is offering a 30-day unrestricted free trial to our listeners. To claim it, just go to freshbooks.com bike and enter the bike shed and how did you hear about us section. Our thanks again to FreshBooks for sponsoring the show. I've also been reviewing a lot of RailsConf proposals. I imagine. I mean, I made it through. How many? How many did they? Let me see. Like almost 500 proposals, right? So we have like 456. I so far have made it through 119 of them. Oh my god! Are you going to review all of them? That was the goal. When I said I was going to do that, I was expecting the baby to be born after I was done doing that. So we'll see. <laughs> right. I remember Sam was a reviewer last year and he made it through a lot of them, but he went really, really fast. And I try, I've been trying to leave comments on a lot of these and feedback, especially on things I'm not accepting. But like, there are some that are just like, okay, this is a garbage proposal and you didn't even try. Mm -hmm. And I move on. But there are some where it's just like, this isn't a good proposal, but I think you could have made it a good proposal. And, you know, maybe, and maybe they'll actually update it and turn it into a good proposal before we make the final decisions. But for the ones where, like, somebody clearly put in the effort and just didn't come up with a proposal that was acceptable or at the quality that we need for whatever reason, I've been trying to leave feedback on those as, as best I can. And that means that takes a lot longer to get through yeah. any number of them. I'm also finding it, like, it's hard to be objective on these. What do you mean by objective? Like, how, what, what, yeah, what do you mean? Uh, well, there are six submissions I've seen so far about the attributes API. <laughs> there's a submission, there's a submission about diesel. Yeah. And like a lot of these are talking about various things about active record that I will have very strong opinions on. So, and some of them are on like code I wrote and it's just like, <laughs> you know, I mean, of course, I, of course I'm always trying to review these then bring it back to, is this a good talk? Will the audience enjoy it? Will the audience get something useful out of it? But it's just like. Boy, it's it's tricky. <laughs> <laughs> is it a case of like you reading through these things and reading a reading like a proposal and being like, oh, like the case we just had where you're like you with your knowledge are like, oh, it's a lot more complicated than that under the hood. I wonder if they know this, like that kind of thing. There have been a few that are that. And then there have been some where it's like, OK, this would actually probably be a good talk. But I really, really disagree. <laughs> and I don't I don't I don't want you spreading this way that I don't want people doing. Yeah, you control the message now. <laughs> Uh, yeah, well, that's what happens when you submit to the party. You control the <laughs> message. I'm bad at making 1984 references. Right. Gotcha. 
we've always been at war with Elixir. Yeah. <laughs> That's one that, like, I'm not sure how much we want to be doing not Rails talks. Mm-hmm. For a conference called RailsConf? I mean, I think it's healthy to have some amount of it. Yeah, I, in the past, we've had like an anything but Rails track, and I don't think that's ever been a great track. Apologies to those who spoke in that track. <laughs> no, no, not because, not, I'm sorry, I should clarify, not because of the talks. What I mean is that they haven't often gotten a huge audience, because a lot of the people who are there aren't there to learn about things other than Rails. They're there because they're Rails developers and looking to discuss Rails things. Right. Yeah, and that was that's kind of echoed by like some of the conversations. I think I talked about this in the show, but maybe people didn't hear this episode, so I'll say it quickly again. On my like plane ride home from the conference last year, I was talking to somebody in the airport, and they were like, "What are, what were your favorite talks?" And I was like, "Oh, you know, I really enjoyed Nicholas Means's keynote about the airplane thing, which we we've talked about this talk on the show before. I think we did a whole episode on it." And I was like, "I really enjoyed that," and they were like, "Oh, I, it wasn't about rails," <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, "True." It wasn't about Rails. And they're like, but I'm here to like learn as much as I can about Rails because like my job is sending me here and like I need to get something out of this. And I, you know, I was like, oh, yeah, not everyone there is there for networking. Right. That's an entirely valid point of view that I had not considered. One of the important things is I think that non Rails talks have something about them that's relevant to Rails devs, Mm -hmm. which is why, like, and again, boy, boy, it's hard not to be biased here. But I think that the proposal about diesel could be if the talk is structured a certain way a good talk because there's a lot that you can say about diesel and the lessons you can learn from it when you're using active record right and how the two libraries have learned from each other and how the internals of both have changed but that's also like so then do i take talks about hanami is that going to be more likely because it's in ruby does that make it more likely to be relevant to rails devs or mm-hmm. sinatra you know one of the things I, that I don't think we've decided yet how much of that, if any, we're going to really have. But it's one of those like, but I also don't want to immediately, this talk isn't about Rails rejected. Right. Because then we are like 1984, the, the conference. I guess. I mean, it is conference called RailsConf. <laughs> but it is good. It's healthy to have like Brian Carrella did a talk last year on Phoenix that people reasonably enjoyed, you know, and that's like a comparable thing. Like, talks from that perspective are interesting because it's like i'm really into rails i really like rails but i don't want to be blind to like what others in the rails community are moving on to or also think is cool and like a talk on a talk on roster diesel is similar in that way it's particularly if you can also make it applicable to like something i might do still as i use active record and that's the important thing. Like if some if somebody's gonna give a talk about diesel, I think that it needs to be a talk worth seeing for the the majority of the audience who isn't then going to go try and use Rust or Diesel. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I just don't think there's a ton of value in talks that are like, here's this technology that you aren't using, and this talk isn't likely to convince you to go switch to that thing, but like it exists, and here's why it's cool. I mean, certainly you can say it exists and here's why it's cool, but then also like, and here's ways that knowing about this thing or how it does things differently can make you a better Rails developer or how you can take lessons from it back into Rails. Right. Yeah, I'm excited about RailsConf this year. Hopefully I'll get to go. (laughs) (laughs) Hint, hint, hint. No, I'm just kidding. Um, (laughs) Yeah, being in Phoenix is kind of cool because I have uh, friends out in Tucson, which isn't too far away, so maybe I can make a swing down or something. Yeah, Ruby's going to be at RailsConf. Yeah, exciting. I'm glad I'll get to meet her. Has anybody sent you any tech onesies? Yes, so many. Oh my god! Really? What do you got? Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see. We got Circle CI. Nice. We got Thoughtbot. We got GitHub. 
We got DigitalOcean. They haven't all come yet. Let me see. I'm trying to remember who else. Microsoft and others. Some of these I need to go find the links that I'm replying to. I'm looking at my Twitter DMs. Somebody out there must work at Google. We need a Google onesie up in here. And an Apple. We need, we need an Apple onesie as well. We would definitely rock a Google, or a Google or Apple onesie if any of listeners are able to hook us up. Yeah, I mean, also, if there's an adult size one, I would, I would <laughs> probably wear like a adult size Apple onesie. Sure. <laughs> one thing I've noticed is that all tech onesies are six month sized. Yeah, I think that's kind of like a, it's a safe bet because by the time anybody thinks to send you the onesie, the baby will already be born. In your case, you know, the baby's premature, so <laughs> it'll, sure, it'll be a while. <laughs> it's funny because now you know we're going out and we're buying three month onesies and nine month onesies, and it's like. We have way too many six-month onesies. Not, not that, not that there is such a thing. Send more onesies. We want it, rain, you know, make it rain onesies. Uh, <laughs> make it rain. All right, I gotta get going. Okay, yeah, cool. Show notes for this episode can be found at bikeshed.fm/slash/ninety-seven. As always, ratings, reviews on iTunes or Google Play are much appreciated. If you have feedback about this episode or any of our 96 other episodes, you can tweet us at underscore Bike Shed, email us at host at bikeshed.fm, or leave a comment on the website. Thanks for listening to Bike Shed, and we'll see you next time.